their capacity and willingness to love and to forgive you, no matter how painfully human you prove to be, because that will happen in both directions for sure. The point is you want to marry someone who uh, you will spend the rest of your life getting to know, and they will spend the rest of their life getting to know you, learning, you, learning to love you, learning to forgive you. And I think life with God is a lot like this. It's not really about knowing everything up front and then jumping in. It's about understanding that through the course of our lives, we're going to get to know God better. And I think it's like that in the good sense and in the hard sense, that there will be challenges as we get to know the Lord better and discover who he is. A lot of that will be excitement and joy. Some of it will crush some of our dreams and the parts of us that are prone to cling to our ways and ourselves. And we will discover that getting to know God more has its challenges. Um, But I I think the reality is that deep down in our souls, we really, really want to know him. We, We may not think about it in those terms all the time, but I think the most basic and deep need buried inside all humans is the need to know and be loved by our creator. And so it's certainly an important part of our journey as a church to continue talking about that. I listed back in January, and just again to refresh your memory, a few particular challenges that I think we encounter in getting to know God. One is the same, and some of these are similar uh, to human relationships, but we have this feeling as we get deeper into life with God of you're not exactly who I thought you were. And we struggle. It creates doubt. It creates uncertainty for some of us. Is this really, is this the God that I can really worship and serve? And and I want to say that there's two parts to that. One part of that is we may have images in our mind coming in and young in our faith and maybe even years into our faith of God that aren't who he actually is. And so this discovery that we're making is that he's different and sometimes better than we ever imagined that he was. But sometimes this is, we, we had these really safe sort of boxes that we had put God in and suddenly he breaks the walls out of those boxes and we have to decide, am I still in? And that happens. It's just part of getting to know a God as big as our God. Um, second challenge I articulated this way is knowing God on Netflix. We just live in a time when we want to binge through what we need to know about something. We want to not have to work that hard for it. And knowing God is not on Netflix. God shows up in various shows that you may watch on Netflix in surprising ways. That is not how, that is not going to be your primary way of knowing God, right? And then the third thing, third challenge I mentioned is this struggle that we face where uh, we start to feel defeated and feel like I've been in the faith for years and if I don't know him any better by now or if it's still this hard, I just, I'm, I'm done. I can't do anymore. Um, and in response to that, I want then and now to encourage us to press through those challenges in some, some really practical ways. I listed some of those then. I'm not going to talk through all of these tonight. Uh, but these are aspects... Uh, it, Dynamics that make human relationships work, I think they're similar in our relationship with God that um, parts of that that matter are that we really desire that, that our motive is pure, that our focus uh, is on the Lord and not primarily on ourselves, um, that we actually spend time doing, uh, pursuing relationship, knowing the Lord, that we listen um, and that our listening is not just out of obligation, but that we actually want to hear and learn. 
um, that we watch and we see who the Lord proves himself to be, that we ask questions. God can handle any question that you have for him, that we have confidence that he's going to reciprocate in this relationship. Um, it's hard to know somebody who isn't interested in being known, and as we'll see in a few minutes, that's not the case with God, that we give up things, we sacrifice things that distract us and derail us from the pursuit of knowing him, and that we're faithful, that we understand it's not going to happen all at once. It's not going to happen all in one year. This is a lifelong journey of faithfulness to the Lord in which we get to know him and he reveals himself to us and surprises us again and again and again if we're faithful in that journey. So that's just a bit of a reset before we start into what we're going to do in the coming weeks because we're going to spend the summer uh, and we'll see how far it goes if we need to go past the summer, but we're going to be talking about spiritual disciplines, about rhythms that we can build into our lives that make all of this a reality, that enable us to actually uh, know the Lord better. Because I think this journey requires intentionality. It doesn't happen by accident. No matter how big or how grand God is, no matter how well-intentioned we are, it is very easy to get sidetracked, to get distracted, to see our time and attention and energy and affections derailed in other directions, even when we're sincerely wanting to keep our eyes on God and to know God. And this illustration of how easy it is for that to happen that sort of echoes back in my mind again and again over the last several years happened uh, five years ago in the spring. Aiden and I took a trip to New York City. I have a cousin who lives in Brooklyn, and we were due to just kind of go and do something together. And so we traveled up to New York, and we spent a week up there, and we had a great week. We actually started in Pennsylvania. I don't know how well you can see this, but so our first stop was Pennsylvania where Aiden was born, and that's Aiden standing outside Moses Taylor Hospital, um, which is significant for two reasons. One, it's where Aiden was born. Two, it's in Scranton, Pennsylvania, where, and it's the hospital where Jim and Pam's baby was also born on the office. True story, Aiden and the Halpert baby were born in the same hospital. <clears throat> um, Aiden first, for the record. Uh, there he is at the Natural History Museum with Dum Dum from uh, Night at the Museum. Yankee Stadium, this is one of my favorite pictures on the right here. That's the Statue of Liberty way off in the distance. And Aiden, we're standing in Brooklyn, and Aiden's taking a picture there of the Statue of Liberty. You can tell some years have passed, and the height differentials have changed in the last five years. Uh, but the story I want to tell you is uh, we, instead of doing the Empire State Building, which I'd done once before, and felt like, and, and my native New York cousin said, you can get a better view and it's much less hassle and, and nicer if you go to the top of 30 Rock called the Top of the Rock. Uh, it's not quite as tall as the Empire State Building, but it's a great view. So that's what we did. And when we got up there to the observation deck, there it was crowded and there were, to get, you know, the best view, you get closest to the ledge. And there were, people were stacked two or three people deep at the, at the edge. And uh, so it was hard to get where you could you could get a view. So we got, we kind of hung around and made our way. So we got past the third layer into the second layer and there's still people lined up and you're just kind of like, how long can I stay waiting that we're going to get a spot on the rail, right? And after a few minutes in the second layer, I nearly lost my mind because this was the situation. Um, this is two children who were in front of us uh, along the ledge and the girl on the left is playing a video game on her dad's iPhone um, while standing at the ledge at the top of the rock. In this view, 
is the Empire State Building, is the Statue of Liberty, is Times Square, uh, is the New World Trade Center, and what she had her eyes on, not just for a second, what she had her eyes on the whole time they were standing there was this video game um, on her dad's iPhone. And her dad, for the record, did not bother to say to her, hey, if you're going to play that, how about you go back to the third layer um, and let these children here who are interested in looking at you know, the actual view have a spot on the rail. Um, my point here is that you don't want to be this little girl when it comes to looking at and knowing the Lord. And you don't want to be your dad either, for the record. Um, we don't want to be people who, with the full view of the Lord in front of us, set aside, don't get distracted by lesser things. We want to be people who set aside the things that don't matter and who put our eyes on the things that do, and specifically on God, believing that and knowing him, we're going to discover his goodness, which is first and primary, but also that we're going to, whatever it is that we're looking for, when, when our eyes get distracted on lesser things, God is going to give us and show us all the good things that we need if our eyes are on him. We don't have to continually divert our eyes searching for the good stuff that we think we have to take hold of in this life. We want to be people who set our eyes on God, put our eyes on him, believing that in knowing him, we're going to we're going to discover all good things and know how also to arrange good things in our lives for joy and not for evil. I don't fully believe that iPhones in and of themselves are evil, uh, but arranged poorly in your life, they are. That's just a fact. And I believe that if our eyes are on the right things, even these things that can be good will know how to arrange in a way that, that God intends them to serve us for good. So that's my kind of opening pitch. I want to keep it brief tonight and very, very simple. So I just want to point out a few truths, read some scriptures about those truths, and then we'll move on and worship a little more and do a couple more things tonight. Um, and then in the future, in the weeks to come, we'll start working through this stuff a little more specifically, okay? So the first thing I want us to be sure of as we start talking about spiritual disciplines, because the point of spiritual disciplines is knowing God, that this is not to make you a more disciplined person. This is not to help you with your schedule. This is the point of everything we will talk about is to re-engage and to engage more deeply in a relationship with your creator, to know him more deeply. So the first thing we need to be clear on is the fact that God wants to be known. In Jeremiah, the scriptures say, uh, with the Lord speaking through the prophet Jeremiah, then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord. So even before Jesus, and we'll see how this transitions some with Jesus on the scene, even before Jesus, the Lord was making himself known to people and saying, I'm not playing hide and seek from you. If you seek me, you'll find me. Psalm 9 says, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. Seeking the Lord, though there will be difficulties, though there will be valleys, there will be seasons, I believe, seasons where it feels like the Lord is silent. Those who are faithful in seeking him uh, will, will not be forsaken by the Lord. 
that's what we know before Jesus ever came on the scene. But our belief, our conviction, our experience is that this aspect of God making himself known and wanting to be known becomes most clearly seen in the life of Jesus. Hebrews 1 says, Long ago at different times and in various ways, God's voice came to our ancestors through the Hebrew prophets. But in the last days, it has come to us through his son, the one who has been given dominion over all things and through whom all worlds were made. This is the one who imprinted with God's image. We've talked about this before, but Jesus is exactly who God is. This is the one who imprinted with God's image, shimmering with his glory, sustains all that exists through the power of his word. He was seated at the right hand of God once he himself had made the offering that purified us from all our sins. John chapter 1 tells us something similar about Jesus. John writes that God, unseen until now, is revealed in the capital V voice, God's only son, that's Jesus, straight from the Father's heart. God wants to be known, and he wants to be known in such a dramatic and intentional way that the whole story that we tell and live by is a function of him wanting us to know him. Jesus came to show us who God is in the flesh, to give us God incarnate, to say, this is who I am, you can know me fully and you can have a relationship and not just in some sort of silly spiritual, we use that term all the time in Christianity, but you can actually relate to and know the God of the universe and Jesus is his clearest demonstration of that, okay? Second thing I want us to walk away sure of before we set off in this conversation about spiritual disciplines is that we were made to know God. Not only does he want to be known, but it's why we exist. We were created for the purpose of knowing him. It is imprinted in our DNA, in our bones, this not just longing, but capacity to know him. We thrive. We are most human when we actually know him. Psalm 139 kind of tells us this story from the other side of things to begin with. It says, speaking to the Lord, you shaped me inside and out. You knitted me together in my mother's womb long before I took my first breath. I will offer you my grateful heart for I am your unique creation filled with wonder and awe. You have approached even the smallest details with excellence. Your works are wonderful. I carry this knowledge deep within my soul. I didn't learn this. Deep in my soul, I know that I was created by a creator who loves me and knows me completely. The psalm goes on to say, you see all things. Nothing about me was hidden from you as I took shape in secret, carefully crafted in the heart of the earth before I was born from its womb. And then down to verse 17, the psalmist writes, your thoughts and plans are treasures to me, O God. I cherish each and every one of them. How grand in scope, how many in number. If I could count each one of them, they would be more than all the grains of sand on earth. Their number is inconceivable. Even when I wake up, I'm still near you. There is this story that the psalmist writing this says, first of all, you know me completely. No one else knows me like this. And because of that, because that story is written into my soul, I want to know you completely. I want to complete that connection with my creator who knows me so well. And go back to the prophet Jeremiah. 
And he writes this, Let not the wise boast in their wisdom, nor the mighty in their strength, nor the rich in their wealth. Whoever boasts must boast in this, that he understands and knows me, the Lord. Indeed, I am the eternal one who acts faithfully and exercises justice and righteousness on earth. These are the things that delight me. By the way, um, the, here we have Jeremiah, the Lord speaking through Jeremiah and saying, you're not here primarily um, for wisdom or strength or wealth, but what the story of your life that you tell most clearly should be that I know the Lord. I know who he is and I can tell you of his goodness. Right after this, uh, God says, it's not on the screen, but God says this, Look, the day is coming when I will set things right with all people. I will punish all those who are circumcised in their bodies, but not in their hearts. I'm not going to get into the punishment part of that, but what it tells us is that God means business when it comes to us knowing him. We were made to really know him, not just carry outward signs that we're Christians, but to actually, in our hearts, have that kind of connection. And all of history is building toward this fulfillment that is about the joining of God and the people who are his who know him. It's a big deal. This is not little advice. This is, this is what your life is supposed to be about and the whole story, the sum of all reality and therefore the purpose of your life is tied up in this admonition that we get from the Lord through Jeremiah. What matters in life is not how smart you are, it's not how much you accomplish or accumulate, and it's not how financially successful you are. And all of us would say, I think, uh, at least if we're in a season when we're really following the Lord and believing the gospel, all of us would say, yeah, sure, true, that my life is not about uh, how smart I am or, or how much I accomplish or how much I accumulate financially. But I think part of what we have to come to terms with and talking about spiritual disciplines I think is actually a really good place to come to terms with it is asking where and how we spend the majority of our lives. If this is true, where and how are we spending the majority of our lives? How is it possible that so much of our energy is spent on accomplishment, is spent on making money and, and creating security for ourselves, is spent on setting up our lives just so and making ourselves comfortable? How can we spend such a large proportion of our lives on those things when God explicitly and rep repeatedly warns us not to get caught up in those things? And he tells us, you are here not for that stuff, but to know the God who is concerned with justice and righteousness on earth. And one of the ways, one of the ways that we can mark whether we know him and are knowing him more deeply, at least in part, is based on how much of our lives are given to the things that delight him, which he says here in Jeremiah are justice and righteousness in the earth versus things that, that delight us. And it's just an inevitable part of this struggle if I am going to set aside time and energy and discipline and effort to try to know God better. I am going to have to grapple with the question, do I really want to know him? Because he says, if you know me, then you become like me. 
And he reveals who he is in Jesus, who though he was God and had all the rights and privileges that anyone could ever have, set aside all of that stuff, did not care about, not only did not care about possessions, did not care about having a home, and said, I'm here to serve. I'm here to give my life away. So if we want to know God better, he is going to take us down those roads. We all have homes in this room, probably. I'm not saying the knowing God is going to make us all homeless. It might. <laughs> you don't get to set the rules up front. But I am saying that he makes it clear who he is and what he delights in. And knowing him is about joining him in that space. It's not about providing us comfort to our consciousnesses. Our consciences is... There's an extra plural. I write much better than I talk sometimes. It's not about making us feel better about the life that we've chosen and, and, and sort of rubbing a little God on it. It's just not it. That you can do that, but that is not a life that is seeking to know God. And, and, and hear me, that I wrestle with this every single day, but this is the truth God says about me, and he is inviting us to know him at this level. Okay getting a little deeper into that than I planned. So here's Jesus in this, along this same line, in this same vein of um, understanding what we were made for, what we were actually made for, and uh, the life that we were really made for. Here's Jesus talking about that in John 17. This is the message, the way the message handles this passage. It says, Jesus said these things in, in chapter 16. Then raising his eyes in prayer, he said, Father, it's time. Display the bright splendor of your son so the son in turn may show your bright splendor. You put him in charge of everything human so he might give real and eternal life to all in his charge. And this is the real and eternal life that they know you, the one and only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. This is the real and lasting life that we were made for, that we know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. It's why we exist. We were made, we were created to know him, okay? Last thing is this. Though God wants to be known, though we were made for it, we live as humans in a world where we have choices. And we choose to know God or to not no God. And, and, and let me just say two quick things about that. Read a couple of scriptures and I'm done. Um, when I say that we choose, I mean two things. I mean, we make a really conscious, volitional choice. Most of us, in a big way, somewhere up front, that we want to know God, that we want to follow Jesus, whatever terms we use for that. And then we also, I think, have to make that volitional decision again and again and again at different seasons of our lives that, yeah, I still, I still want this. I'm not just going to take uh, this, this section of my life, which was kind of vacation Bible school, youth group, and some college enthusiasm, and then things got busy once I got a job and I, and I started a family. I'm not just going to say, well, yeah, I really got to know God in that season, and, and I'm going to kind of live on the fumes of that for the rest of my life. We continue to make a choice. Do I really want to press in deeper? Do I really want to know him? Because it's, it's, it's absurd. I, I, 
I go through, I fall into the same trap, maybe more than anybody else. Listen, I'm a, I'm a preacher's kid. I've been in the church as much or more as anybody my age could possibly been in the church. It's easy for me to be convinced that I got a lot of Jesus already. And it's not that important for me to keep pressing in. But when I think about it, it's absurd that I would think that I have somehow mastered and fully understood the God of the universe. It's crazy. So I still have to make that choice again and again. Here's the other thing that I think we mean, I mean when I say we choose to know God or not. We choose whether we're looking at our phone or whether we're looking at God. And I mostly mean that figuratively, though it's becoming more and more literal for more of us, right? We make choices that we don't think about being, do I want to know God or do I want to know God? But we're just filling up our lives with something else. We still have a choice as to whether or not we will know God. Colossians 3, Paul writes this. So it comes down to this. Since you have been raised with the anointed one, the liberating king, set your mind on heaven above. The anointed one is there, seated at God's right hand. Stay focused on what's above, not on earthly things, because your old life is dead and gone. Your new life is now hidden, enmeshed with the anointed who is, who is in God. Paul urging us to choose a life where we know God. And then Jesus said this in Luke 11, so I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search and you will find. Knock and the door will be open for you. For everyone who asks receives and everyone who searches finds. For everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And then he tells us something about about himself, about God. Is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will give a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And that's what we want to do together in this season, to move forward in faith that we have a father who will give us good things, who will reciprocate, who will respond, who wants to be known, who has given us his presence in the Holy Spirit, as Jesus says here, and who will allow us to know him if we seek him. So together, we want to press into this journey of directing our lives in that way, in, in the direction of seeking him and knowing him. Let's pray. Father, first of all, I thank you for um, your goodness and generosity and your desire that we would be able to know you. <clears throat> Our desire that we would know you, that we would choose to know you. I thank you that for centuries you've been speaking and making yourself known and that you acted in our history our, the history of all of the earth and in my history and in the history of each individual person here. And you brought Jesus onto the scene to say, here I am and I give you all of me. That you went to such lengths for us to know you and for us, as Jesus makes clear, for us to experience the life that we were made for. So I pray that you, um, by your Spirit's work in this time, in this place, in this season, in the life of our church, that you would draw us back into a real hunger, a real desire to know you. Because I believe if we have that, and if we choose to know you, that we won't be disappointed. That you will continue 
what you've been doing all along, and that is giving yourself to us, and that in that we will find real life, eternal, lasting, full life. We pray that in Jesus' name.